you will, to uh, Psalm 82. That's where I'm going to be. We're going to sit and share this morning. It's going to kind of be a, a, a different time. Instead of me teaching, I'm going to have my wife come, and we're going to talk about marriage, all right? And uh, now, let me get, this is a disclaimer, all right, right off the front. You, you say you're going to talk about marriage? Yeah. Uh, the moment somebody says we're going to talk about marriage, the gears start turning in everybody's heads. All right? Uh, for some of us, maybe we're beyond marriage. I mean, when we're not getting married again. Miss Edna, there you go. So done, beyond that, good world without end, say law. You know, we're, all, we're good. Um, and then I got some of the, the cheering in the place who are looking back in their few years away from getting married. It's just like, well, do we need to be talking about this? Well, yeah. And now for all of us married folk here, this is uh, instantly, now you're put into a position, if you will. And that is, I want to ask you, between one and ten, ten being, it, it ain't worth a squat, you know, it ain't worth anything. Or, t- or one being, it's as good as it can get. It can't get any better. <laughs> All right. There's a, yeah, she says she's got 352 days a year, so we're 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 still working on on that. All right. So, so I, so so where is it? And and instantly, here's here's the disclaimer. Whenever we start talking about marriage relationships. All the couples sitting in the room know there's some areas that we could we could do better. Come on, help me out now. Don't don't leave me hanging here. There, in other words, if if at the starting of this, if I could say, are there some areas in your marriage that can improve? Then okay, you know there are weekend retreats on stuff like this. All right. I'm going to hit you with my best shot, me and my, my, my bride here today, in, in this, this laying this foundation. Yeah. The big things? Yeah, we should have done it. Y'all have, we, we, maybe we'll bring them out next time. I'm going to hit you with my best shot. Come on up, come on up, honey. And, uh, join me. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that because we're talking about foundations, right? And uh, boy, is this is this pertinent. You know, I really enjoyed Dr. Rodden's teaching last two, um, two Sundays. Just invaluable information. And I remember how he started off two weeks ago when he started teaching about the foundation of a good health. And he talked about his chemistry and how he learned the basics, right, Dr. Rodden, about that's how you got the, the best grade because you learned the basics, Okay. So the same is true in marriage and in family. If you get the basics down, then the rest of it's going to kind of play out. All right. Now, so for the older folks that you're like, look, we've been married. You know how your your grandpa and grandma was married how long? Uh, they were together 76 years. Um, so 76 years. When he passed away. And so there's a good heritage there. And I, I mean, my great-grandparents were married a long time, over 50 years. My mom and dad, they were together, I mean, to, to my father passed. They would have been married, uh, they were married 40, 46 years, and, but then he passed away. So there's some good um, genes in my family. <laughs> look, if, <laughs> that's to our children. Uh, look, if somebody's together 70... 76 years? Really? Okay, well, let's look. If it's seventy, I think it's going to work out. I mean, I think they're probably it's going to work out after seventy seventy something years. But I got to tell you a funny story, because on their fiftieth wedding anniversary, my grandfather was a man of few words, and my grandmother was. Blah, blah, blah. But um, anyways, the, on the fiftieth anniversary, he because I can talk about him because they're in heaven now, so it's all good, <laughs> and it's all respectful. But he on the fiftieth anniversary, he looks at her and says. Well, she ran the first half, and I'm running the second half. 
So amen to that. Did you hear that? All right. Amen. I, I get a witness. I'm getting a witness on that. Okay. So today we're just going to hit one one main thing. I'll take, I'll take you, you reach. Okay, there you go. Thank oh, you, Tony. Thank you. I get my own mic. Look. Okay. All right, before I've we graduated. get into this, okay, I just got to know, Whitney would like to give an update on trip and at, the, at the end of the service. So you want to just, we'll just put a pause on, come on up, tell us right now. We're, we're, okay. Yeah. Because we've been Be ready in season you. and out. You know how he is. He likes to throw you out of the boat. Yes. That's my gift. <laughs> how to be flexible at all times. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to give an update because... Well, all of y'all are kind of in this journey with me. (laughs) So I'm really thankful for all of the support and all the prayers that you have all given me thus far and continue to give. I'm so thankful. Um, But I just wanted to share something very exciting with all of you. Um, As a world racer, we have four financial deadlines to meet. And at any time, if you don't meet one of the deadlines, then you're out. Like, you can't continue with the race. And so those deadlines are kind of (laughs) crucial. The first one is May 1st. And in order to go to training at the end of May, you have to meet that May 1st deadline, which is $3,500. And the second deadline is June 17th. Um, you have to have $7,500, and that's in order for you to be able to launch at the end of June, um, which is the last weekend of June. And um, the third, let's see, yeah, the third deadline is October 1st. You have to have 11000 and the last deadline, the final deadline, of course, for the whole 17000 is December 31st. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. He's so adorable. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, um, but yeah, so the good news is that I have already met my first deadline. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So, and it was, it was all because of all of you guys, all of your prayers and all of your support. And I'm just so thankful. Thank you so much for partnering with me in this. So now I get to go to training. Well, stretch your hands out that yes. way. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this uh, milestone. And Lord, we're going to believe you for the next one and the next one next. And we believe you, God, for sending out this missionary from this house. We thank you in advance that you've already provided all the needs because you are Jehovah Jireh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah, that's so Very awesome. good. So that's exciting. All right. Are you in um, Psalm 82? Psalm 82. Did I say Psalm 82? All right. Did I say it? Did I give you a verse? Okay. Know. Just turn anywhere in the Bible. Just turn where you want to, and we'll read today. As you, I would kind of want it to be informal, you know, today. That's why we're sitting. In fact, I picked out, I, I told every time I wear black, this is my Johnny Cash imitation, you know. And I'm and, June. And she's June, June Carter. Cash. And, uh. Walk but the line. I just, <laughs> I just want you to know. I had my outfit picked out first, so she picked her, and it's oh, look at one. That's one of those couples that look dress alike, you know. So there you go. There, you go. there we go. Um, so in Psalm eighty-two, let me, that's going to be our introduction and in foundations, restoring what matters most. Our, our key verse there, Psalm eleven three, says, "When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do?" We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Psalm eighty-two five. Psalm 82.5. Speaking in the context of what's happening on the earth, this whole chapter talks about justice and the fatherless and the poor and the needy. And then God speaks into that point, that generation. He says, and they knew not, neither would they, will they understand. They walk in darkness. All the foundations are out of course. Now, folks, listen to this for a moment. It says that neither will they understand. They walk in darkness, which means there is an ignorance that's unfolding. The Bible says my people are destroyed for what? For a lack of knowledge. Without a vision, the people 
Okay, so there's something, there's, there's a lack of a moral compass. There's a lack of a standard. People are missing it. And the next thing he says, and they walk in darkness and all the foundations are out of course. Meaning this, foundations, that's not the, the tectonic plates that are underneath our feet, the crust of the earth. It's speaking of laws. It's speaking of the government of heaven. It's speaking of what was entrusted to man when God gave him stewardship over the earth. Principles, laws, values, beliefs. What he's saying is what's happened in Psalm 82. He says that all the foundations are out of whack. They're out of course. Now, in setting this up, what is a good example of that? Three weeks ago, a federal judge enforced upon the state of Alabama, in, in, even though over 80% of the people in Alabama voted and said, we believe marriage is defined as, according to this right here, as one man and one woman. You have a federal judge that not only broke this law, but broke the law of the vote of the people. The will of the people said, this is what we think it is. It says, no, we're going to enforce upon you that you have to accept same-sex marriage, okay? Let me tell you this. I, I am working with other pastors right now. Are you aware that churches are having to write into their constitution and bylaws a clause uh, for, uh, uh, regarding the homosexual community? Because do you know what's happening? Uh, people from the gay community are coming in and applying to go on staff at those churches. And if the pastor does not hire them, they take them to court and file a lawsuit because of sexual discrimination. So now churches are having to protect themselves uh, because of this onslaught. Let me just say this real quick. Because whenever I say this, it's like abortion. It's like it's a very sensitive subject. Let me tell you what I believe the heart of God is. And I believe most, most all of you will agree with this. God loves the sinner. What does that mean? God loves the homosexual. God loves a lesbian. Whatever. The truth is that they're mixed up. Their orientation is out of course. Okay? So, just as we were sinners... No matter what sin that is, God loves them, but God does hate the sin. And we cannot say, you know, uh, I love you and I love your sin too, because we won't be consistent with God. Jesus died on the cross. That's why he was beaten and, and, and nailed to the cross because of sin, no matter what that sin was. So as a pastor, as a messenger of the truth, I cannot agree. And in fact, I think the militant agenda of the homosexual community is diabolical. It's evil. And it's, it's like a cancer. You see, it's taking over and we're going the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's kind of off the notes here, but, but just if I can get to this. Okay. But I just want you to understand, that happened and, and what it's showing is in America, the courses of the foundations are out. Right, I told you two weeks ago that uh, my wife and I came walking out of the, the movie theater right here in the Bible belt, uh, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt, right here in Florence, Alabama. Here we're walking out of our theater, and I'm seeing the line going all the way out the door of, I'd say, 80% of it were women going in to see the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, I've not seen the movie, I've not read the book, but I have done the, the review of those who have. Folks, it's basically pornography for women. It's about sadomasochism. And in fact, even those who wrote and said, we're showing the brokenness of relationships. Okay, so you got people flocking and consuming this stuff. All right? And we're wondering why we're so sick as a nation. Why we're so... What's wrong with this country? Why are we deteriorating? Well, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? We are given the stewardship. He said, if my people, he's not looking to the person that's playing the film down there. He's not looking to that judge that is trying to for. He said, my people are the ones that hold these foundations in place. So that's very, very important in going through on this. And then we're going to get started here. Now, go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go back to the foundations since we're talking about the foundations. Genesis 1. I'm going to read a couple of passages. But I'm going to set you up. 
There's one thing that my lovely wife and I want to leave you with today. If you forget everything else that is said here now for the next four hour, four and a half hours, if you forget everything else that was said, <laughs> I didn't get amen there. There was no amen in the house on that. Oh me, give us grace, Lord. It is, it is what I'm about to tell you, but I want you to take away this, but I want you to build on what I'm about to say because... This is called deductive teaching. I'm going to state it, and then we're going to back it up with the Word of God. But I want you to hear first right off, when, if you forget everything else, when you get in the car and you're going wherever you're going after this, that you say, wow, the Lord spoke to us, and he was talking about marriage relationships. For, for us older folks, the younger folks need our mentoring. He'll come and say, these young couples say, hey, how'd you make it? You know, for the younger guys, is it... Here was my experience, ready, uh, kids, with my family, and I'll bet this is probably true for a lot of you. I saw in marriage how not to do it. And I came out and said, well, look, anything but what I saw must got to work because that didn't work, okay? For those of us who are married, so, okay, now we've got set before us. That one thing is the thing that that's what we need to be shooting for. And ready? Here it goes. I'm setting you up now. Everybody sitting up. Everybody's eyes open. Here it comes. Before I read the scripture, let me test your knowledge. What is the number one goal? Now, don't shout it out. Don't shout it out. There, just between you and the Lord, in your heart, in your mind. What is the number one goal in marriage? Somebody cue the Jeopardy music. What's the number one goal in marriage? Mm, I hear the gears turning. I've done marital counseling now for 30 plus years of premarital counseling, marriage counseling. Most all the time, I always have my wife in with me because she can give that lady side of, of, of the counsel. But in asking that question, I've gotten all kinds of answers. Um, some might say love. Oh, that was a good one. It includes it. Some might say commitment. Well, it involves that too. Um, some people say it uh, trust. Ooh, yes, it involves trust. Some say sex. Well, it involves that too. All right, thank you. <laughs> Getting freed up here in the house of the Lord. The number one goal, let me back this up, not from man's perspective, because you get everybody's opinion. You go out over here to Florence Mall, the brand new Florence Mall, y'all, and ask a question, what's the goal of marriage? You're going to get opinions, right? right. Exactly. Can I tell you what God's after in your marriage and mine and what our goal should be? Ready, here it comes. It is to become one. The main goal of all marriages is for the husband and the wife to become one. All right, let's go back and look at it. Genesis 1, let's set it up. I'm going to read a couple of passages here. Now, we don't have the, we're actually going back old school. We only actually have this on the screen back there. So just follow along with me. Genesis 1, 26. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. Let them, notice the plural, let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing, and yes, there are creeps, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. Do you see that? He created him, the word there is Adam, or Adam, is male and female. So it's like, let's say, mankind or human, human beings um, created them and God blessed them. He invoked, he infused his power, his blessing when he spoke it into humanity, into stewardship of man, their foundation. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish 
and, uh, of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the, everything that moves on the earth. Skip down to verse 31. Then God saw that everything that he made, every, that saw everything that he made, and that indeed it was very good. See, everybody see that? Saw that it was very, very good. All right, now, chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 15. This is for the time's sake. I'd love to read through the whole thing, but for time's sake. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now notice verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible to him. Now, think about verse 31. It said, And the Lord God, notice at the end of every day, God saw what he made and said what? It was good. Help me out. It was good. But when he made man, he said, It's very good. Here's the first instance in the word of God where God says something is not good. Now you say, did God have an afterthought? Was he not thinking through that? No, he's trying to unfold something to us. He's trying to show us something to us. He said, it's not good, what? That man should be alone. So I will make him a helper uh, for him. And let's see, then out of the, the, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what they would call them. And whatever ever called them, each living creature, that, that was its name. So Adam gave name to all the cattle, the birds, and all the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper compatible. And some of your versions say help meet. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Help meet. That's a good old King Jimmy word. Verse 21, for the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which he took, uh, he had taken out of, from, from the man, and he made it into the woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now notice, this is not God. This is Adam said, he brings the woman that he just created, he took outside of him, and he brings her to, he wakes up, He has a couple of Folgers, and he brings the woman, and he says, Now, this is bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called, Whoa, man. Because she was taken out of the man. Here it is, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become, there it is, the two shall become one flesh. The New Living Translation says, and the two are united into one. So folks, now this is what this is talking about. This is God, it it is a demonstration. There's a heavenly mystery here. There's something he's unfolding because it said, apparently to just create the male gender would have been an incomplete picture of the Godhead. To create just the woman gender would have been an incomplete picture. Both had to come together to show you, I'm going to show you something about me when I make the male and the female. But when I bring them together, now watch, in a covenant relationship, it's even going to go deeper than that. How many know that marriage is not a contract? Mm, how many know that marriage is not a contract? Because a contract you can break, right? You know that a, a covenant is something that God makes. That it's an eternal thing. It's a deep, deep thing. Um, you know, I was talking with the pastor the other day. You know, in their new members class, they're actually having to take a segment to talk about cohabitation. Do you realize how many couples are living together today, and yet they're not married? Yet they say we're a couple. And yet they've not, they've broken the foundation that God says, says there's, there's a foundation, don't, it's, don't knock it out of course, because if you do, there are going to be consequences that's embedded. If you jump off a hundred story building, what you're going to get at the bottom? A hundred story consequence, right? There are laws, there are foundation that God has put in place. 
So we're saying, okay, well, it's, if it's same-sex marriage, well, what if they love each other? God said it's out of course. Well, what if they're living together? They love each other. God says you still haven't come together as a covenant with me to make it right. Can I get an amen? So here's covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship is something that, that we enter into by faith. How many of you know when you stood at that wedding altar, those of us who, who are married, that you entered into it by faith? Amen. <laughs> Some of us say, well, if I'd have known now what I knew then. I'd do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But there are three institutions of God. There's marriage or the family. There's the church. And there's the state. But the most holy one, and whenever we do marriages, I love this part. The most holy of all these is the marriage institution because it is the foundation on which God is going to build the rest of creation. All right? right. So it's ended in by faith. Listen to this. It, its end result is received it's, it's at, at its beginning. You hear that? Its end result, marriage, is received at the beginning. What are you talking about? Oh, I love this part. I mean, that's why I wore black today. Okay? Will you have this woman for better or worse? In rich, in, in, uh, in riches, uh, and in the poor, and in sickness, and in uh, until do you? You just spoke the end from the beginning. So when you enter into a marriage covenant, you're saying no matter what the circumstances is, yeah, but he gets on my last nerve. You made a covenant. <laughs> Thank you. I think we're keeping it real here today. You got others, other nerves, you know what I'm saying. All right, so this covenant is about binding together, making two into one. It is something that's worked out by believing. Right. Dr. Rodden, last week, I heard you t- say several times that faith without works is dead. Right. That if you want health in your body, if you want health in your, in your life, you want blessing, then you got to act on what God's word says. So in marriage, if you want your marriage to be blessed, you got to act on what God's word says. Right. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and what? Puts them into practice, I will liken to a man who built his house on a firm foundation. See that? So this covenant, you enter into it saying, I've already made up my mind. I'm going to do what it says to make this function like God intended it. I like this part. Uh, A covenant is when uh, it can only be established when it functions according to design. Mm -hmm. Amen. Now, listen, I told you this could be a three-day week. I mean, we could be all day today, tomorrow, and all day the next day and still not cover it all. We're going to try, but the main thing, am I, the main thing I'm trying to get across is what is that the number one goal in marriage is oneness. is oneness. So you got to go according to the foundation, how the blueprint. You got to keep a kingdom priority. If you seek God, seek His kingdom first, His righteousness, all these other things shall be added unto you. So in other words, you've got to learn to. Here's the crazy thing: you want to know one of the keys in being. In, in becoming one in a marriage, it's learning to become selfless. Oh, I just knocked it out of the park right there. Boom. You know, that's a big problem in marriage is because you got two wills and, and, and we're all usually all about ourselves. And if we'll become, put the other first, you're going to find it's going to work out really, really well. Okay. So the goal is oneness. And it says, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother. By the way, that's a foundation. Watch now. Watch, 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 watch. The, we just stated the blueprint. We just pulled, we rolled it out, and it said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife. There is no Adam and Steve there. Okay, there, 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 there is no, well, you know, you understand what I mean? And now watch this. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall everything be established. A foundation be laid. When Jesus in, in um, Matthew 19 was asked about marriage, guess what he quoted? What we just read for this reason. Jesus referred back to the original intent. Paul in writing about husbands and wives, we're going to read it in just a moment, in the church, in the church in, in uh, Ephesians 5, He quotes and says, for this reason. So three times in scripture, in case you didn't, you missed it in Genesis, Jesus has got it. In case you didn't get it with Jesus, Paul got it. 
In other words, you can't miss it. It's one woman, one man. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. All right. So I just want to make but sure we, we, we get that. We yeah. assume we're preaching to the choir, but you know what? When we go out and we begin to face these things in the culture and our kids are bombarded with opposite of what is being taught, they need to be re-engaged with the truth of the word of the Lord. And uh, because... You know, it may not be have been modeled before you. It may not be being modeled in your home. Just because people are sitting in churches doesn't mean it's being modeled in the home. I'm I'm just being real. That's for real. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure um, that you know we we often say that we're preaching to the choir, but we we don't know. You could be exposed to something new that you never gave thought of today because it's presented in a different way, or you've walked a road and you're going, okay, that that's not the way it was supposed to work out, and then light comes and shines in the dark area to give you wisdom because a lot of couples having trouble you want to know why is because of the way they started out right. it's because they did not know how does a marriage how does a, what is a husband that's one of the questions i ask in marital what is the ideal husband and i have the husband say and i have the wife what do you think because big problems in marriages have to do with expectations exactly. This is what I expected a husband to be. This is what I expected a wife to be. Well, we go into it that we don't, we don't really fully understand what is a marriage covenant. But then we get into it and then we're ignorant. We, 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 we're um, walking in darkness. How does a marriage work? Okay, now problems start coming up. Well, we didn't anticipate these. We know that nobody's perfect. We're having some problems. Well, if we don't know what's causing the source of the problem, going back now to the health thing with Dr. Rodden, if you can, you can give somebody a pill to treat a symptom, but if that symptom keeps coming back, are you really dealing with the problem? In counseling, they always taught us in college, you always trace the surface problem to its root cause. And so as a pastor now for years, I've had couples that I see them sitting in church like what you're saying, Seem to be happy, and then say, Pastor, can we meet with you? And of course, it's going to be a private thing. It's going to be confidential. I'm the pastor. And they said, Well, you know, we're having trouble. You know, and, and we're, we're, we're thinking we might separate, or, you know, it's gotten really bad. And, you know, the, what I often found, have found out is that by the time a couple has, has called the pastor and said, I'd like to meet with you, I said, I don't want to say it's too late. We're going to say, uh, The issues have allowed to be getting out of hand. Because I could have helped you a lot better somewhere way back up line. And basically what they said, we have been arguing and fighting. We, 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 you know, it's, it's just been bad for a long time. And basically here's what I see is that they walk into the office and hand me a rope. It's all tied in knots. And I'm not talking about just knots. I'm talking about, you remember when your shoestring used to get so t- in such a knot that it's like a little rock? And they say, now here, now we're going to meet with you, Pastor, for about an hour. Can you straighten us out? All right, come on now. I mean, I am blessed. I'm fortunate if I can get one loop out to start straightening out. Because decision, choice, year after year, that that knot gets bigger and tighter. All right. So everybody has issues, but it's according to our knowledge. How, How well do we know of what God said on how we should be in marriage? Listen to what. Uh, y'all know who Derek Prince is? Derek Prince, he is the father of Joseph Prince. Joseph Prince is on TV. He's, Derek is, is a former pastor, writer, radio uh, talk personality, great man of God. Listen to this. <clears throat> he said, the most complete revelation of God through human beings is the institution of the family. The love between the husband and wife mirrors the love between Jesus and his church. The love of a father, and I would add here, he didn't say it, the love of a father and a mother mirrors his love for his family that he created. It is God, the outworking of God's plan for the family to be the highest goal made available to man. In other words, when God created us and said, now I want you to go and be fruitful, be blessed, multiply. He says, I want to show people who I am. I want to show them heaven on earth. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? But he goes on to say, which is relevant to us, but through rejection of God's plans, the family, um, for the family, human mis- uh, misery has reached 
its zenith. So here's what I want Deanna to, 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 to share with you about. Okay, notice that notice where he started all this. Where was it? It was in a garden. You've heard me say many times, I want to say it again here. Yes, God created the garden for the man to tend and to keep it. But not only did God put man in the garden, God put the garden in the man. Because it, we, can, we have a garden within ourselves. So, this is something that we go through with couples, whether it's premarital or whether it's a couple that's coming and says, we've got some issues. This is one picture we want to leave them with, and I want you to tell them about a garden marriage. Well, I went back to the Bible this morning, and I was looking up the word garden, and the word garden in Hebrew is gan, <laughs> um, and it means garden or enclo- enclosure, and it figuratively means a, a bride. Um, so, of course, when a, you've got a wedding, you've got the bride, and we are considered the bride of Christ. So, because when in Ephesians, when it talks about, you know, I'm telling you about marriage, but I'm also talking about Christ and his bride, which is the church, you know, and how we treat our spouses or, uh, you know, wife or husband is how we're treating Christ. And, um, and then it's also a garden of plants. And the word Eden means pleasure. So our marriage should be a place of enclosed pleasure. Yes. And if it's not, then we need to step back and go, okay, what am I, what am I not doing? Because in, in any garden, which all of us know, you've got to put the seed. You've got to put the seed in the ground to get the flower to grow or the plant to grow or whatever it is that you're wanting to grow. So a lot of times we're putting not the correct seeds in. And remember uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, when I was sharing on the word Elroy, and it means the God, the one who sees me. So to me, when I was posed the question out of my study, what does that mean to you? It means that God is studying me. So I would encourage all of us to even, even study our kids, study the ones that you love. And when you do that, you'll find out what they like and what they don't like. I encourage you to understand the love languages in your household. If you haven't read that book, there's love languages for everything. There's love languages for, for couples and kids and even uh, like little kids. Because that's really important. And, you know, Bill even mentioned this when we read it, that God formed man, and he put him in the garden. He had him go to sleep. Then he had him go, uh, he took the rib out. The rib is a representation of a very intimate place because it's right here, right next to your heart. It protects the heart, mm-hmm. you know. So in, mar- in the marriage ceremony, I love this part of the ceremony when they say, and they, a lot of pastors don't don't always do this, but I love when it's done that the man, uh, the 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 rib was taken out of the man, and he created woman. It came from his side. It didn't come over from the head to which the woman is to lord over. She understands that the man man is the head of the house, and the decisions rest there, and God is in control. And it didn't come from the feet to where she would be trampled on. But it came from the side to where there can be that compatibility, complementary feelings, uh, um, and comparable. And I just want to read what my study Bible here says about comparable. It says, A helper indicates that Adam's strength for all he was called to be and do was inadequate in itself. So man, man by himself is in, in, inadequate. I mean, you can function, and then God, you know, if you're a single man and you choose to be single, you know, if God has that to, for your life, then he comes in and he becomes your the bride, you know, and he'll show you how to be soft and, and the, bring the softness of a woman. Uh, comparable to him, mean, it denotes complementary. The needed... Help is for a daily work, procreation, and mutual support through companionship. That's what we're supposed to do, ladies. We're supposed to be a helpmate to our husbands, you know, and where they need us to do things, we we are able to do that for them. And um, in order for us to have the garden marriage, I put my glasses on, 45 is just a bummer some days. Bless the Lord. (laughs) Anyways, I'm walking in health, people. Anyhow. 
Your marriage is a garden because you are a garden. Bill just, he took all my punchlines, all right? So anyways, God set man in the garden to tend it. And tend means you're going to have to work, okay? Tend doesn't mean you get on your your lazy boy and you sit back and you just have her do all the work. Uh, I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it, guys. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking up. (laughs) Um, Okay. And ladies, it doesn't mean that you walk in the door and, and, you know, have an expectation that your husband doesn't know. That's really important. When Bill sits down with the couples and he asks both of them, what is a, what is a husband to you? What is a husband to you? What is a wife to you? What is I mean, there could be an expectation that the man has that the woman has no clue, like cooking. <laughs> I always use that as an example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sure. I, I'm t- I constantly tell my kids, "You better learn how to cook something." Because <laughs> you know, the way to a man's, man's heart. heart is through his stomach. All right. So, anyways, but the garden is within you because he took the man and he placed him in the garden. But we have the garden within ourselves, and what seeds that we plant inside of ourselves. And and I'm just I, I'm going to speak because we're we, we're talking about the, the the recent movie that just came out, and that was that is towards women. And ladies, let me tell you, you are an influencer. Right. Young ladies, are you listening to me back there? My my young ladies back there, uh, Rebecca, Zoe, y'all. Yeah, young ladies. (laughs) All the young ladies, you are an influencer. In your home, you will influence things. And you need to make sure you're not influencing for evil. I'm just saying. Because we can do that. You, You need to be really careful what magazines that you allow in your home. And it's not always the women, but we usually have control over the male sources and all that stuff. And when we see things, you know, when you see things being sent to a house that probably, if, if it's for you to look at, fine. You look at it, throw it away, if you know what I'm saying. Victoria's Secrets, you know, that's, uh, so we have to be careful that we don't expose our husbands to things that they should not be exposed to. We should protect them. And... And because that's a very real thing in, in our society today. So we need to watch the seeds that we're planting. We need to tend to the garden carefully and watchfully, pulling out the weeds. And those weeds, sometimes it's not fun. We've got to water the garden. We've got to make sure what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're acting. You know, because I, I get called on the carpet sometimes about the way I act. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not, can be not be pleasant sometimes. So, you know, and I'm thankful for that because we all have blind spots. And we need to be open open to those things that we that we're we're set in our ways and we need to have somebody say over here look at me you know i'm trying to get your attention because god wants the best for us he for for both men and women okay i wanted to give a quick example because i just read this in a book but when we have weeds in the garden a, a little boy was asked to go uh, do his chores which was to pull the garden or pull the garden pull the weeds out of the garden and he didn't necessarily want to do it he wanted to go and play. He was 12, you know, of course. How many of us really want to get out in the garden and pull the weeds? We really don't want to do that. And uh, not, not unless, I mean, like your Pastor Bill and, and, and Kim, they like to pull weeds. Okay. But it is kind of fun when you start pulling them and you see them and you're like, oh, yeah, that was a big one. Look at that. You know? So you might just need to go and actually experience it to, so you understand. But anyways, the little boy was asked to do the chore of pulling the weeds. He didn't want to do it. So he found some peat moss in the garage bags of peat moss so what he did was he decided to throw the peat moss on the garden and boy it looked great when he got done but a couple days later what he didn't know was peat moss weeds feed on peat moss and so up they came so all the work that he did the first time around to cover the weeds he had to go back and redo it in the right way so sometimes when we're wanting a quick fix and we're trying to cover up the problem. We're just like, okay, we'll just, we'll just do it like this. No, God is really, he wants us to ha- get the root stuff out of us. So that we can have that place of pleasure. You know, so that your home can be a pleasurable place for people to come into. So anyways, the moral of the story is don't cover up. Don't do a quick fix and cover things up. It might be ugly. It's like cleaning the closet. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize all that junk was in there. But sometimes you have to make a mess in order to get it cleaned up. All right? So, and then um, you need to, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to get dirt underneath your fingernails. And that's okay. You know, um, because, and, and, and sometimes when people come to us, I think, Pastor, when they come to, they need to meet with us. And there's almost an embarrassment, you know, because people 
they, they want everybody to think that they're all okay. Well, newsflash, you're, we're not, you know, so just come on, give us your little ball, just, but be receptive. Oh, as a doctor or a pastor, our whole thing is, is just do what we're asking you to do. Do the word, you know, do the medicine. You'll get better. I promise you will. It might take a little while because that weed was a little on the deep side. Remember when we pulled it out, you're like, whoa, look how cool. And and you get, and you, when you pull a weed out, a lot of times you see how it's maneuvered all, all all over the garden. And sometimes we don't know that until we start pulling things out. We're like, well, I didn't know that that was attached to that. You know, so God wants us to be healed. He wants us to tend our gardens. He wants us to plant well things. And when we're planting not good things, you need to go and rip that puppy up real quick. <laughs> Get it on out of there. So I guess the question is, watch now. What do you want your marriage to look right. like? Right. What do you want your marriage to look like? Do you want it to look like a weed bed? Mm. Then just let it go. Throw some dirt on top of it. Keep mm. covering up the problems. Yeah. The and it's underneath. It's still there. That's right. It's going to come back up. So you've got to go to the root causes. And that means, how many of you found, let's see, we've been married how long now? 20, almost 20. <laughs> he Just that. checking her. She's got to check me. Uh, have you found that marriage is hard work? Yes, I'll answer that for everybody. Come on, I, I, yeah, I got one. I got help. Okay, it's, but it's it, worth it. it is. How many of y'all have heard of marriages made in heaven? How many of y'all know of any marriages made in heaven? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very, I saw one hand. I've known some that made from the other place. You know, but I want to. We give you a shocking revelation this morning. Please sit back in your chair and don't nobody faint. Grab grab the person unless they they pass out right now. Deanna and my marriage is not perfect. It's not? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to let you know that. Uh, in fact, the truth is, when you get to heaven, she's going to have a lot of crowns on top of her head. For what she has had, to, I am going to be honest, I am difficult to live with. I'm just going to tell you right now. I am difficult to live with. I am. And thank God for a woman that's just helped me out. And, and, and shown grace to me. But what we've learned is what you're saying, folks, if, if it's hard work, if you want it to be a beautiful garden marriage, you're going to have to get to work. And first of all, what I know about landscaping is that when you see just an empty lot, ready? Okay, you can, I can envision. You, know, you diff, put different colors and different kinds of foliages, leaves and stuff. You put stuff that's high, stuff that's medium, stuff that's going to crawl on the ground. You're going to figure what color your mulch is. I mean, all those. And, and you can picture in your mind, this is what I want this garden to look like. And God says, it'll look like whatever you want it to. And so if you start planting stuff, if you start putting seeds in, guess what? That's what's going to come out of it. And you get down and say, well, we've allowed some stuff to just start growing up here. Uh, we need to start pulling. So it's going to, you've got to stay on it. Weekly, daily, monthly. If you want it to look beautiful, you've got to water it. That's the cycle of relationships. Some plant, others water, but God gives the increase. Here's, here's a question. Um, now, don't answer out. Does God want us to be happy in marriage? Well, the answer is yes, of course. But here's the flaw in that. Some people believe because they're not happy in marriage that the alternative is to divorce. And the issue is the reason they're not happy is that they've left the foundations we're talking about and the result is they're not happy and they're not realizing the part of this cause, part of this reason that I'm not happy is I'm not doing the things that God said to do. If, listen, oh, I love it when, when, when preachers are preaching, you know, and the, and the Bible says, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. <clears throat> I can see the, 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 the husbands get the, the, the wives get the elbow and the ribs, you know. Boom, did you hear the, the preachers preaching the word of God? You know, that's the best preaching I've heard, preacher out of you in years. Women, woman, submit. And, and they like that, and that, it does say that. But the next part, he raises the, the bar. And he says, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Bing. 
Here's what I, I've done a lot of counseling. I have found it is not hard for a woman to submit to a man who's loving her like Jesus does. Amen. So really, and I, we could get into this, but we've got to wrap it up. But really, it's talking about responsibility, about becoming one. Uh, put, put the, who's back there? I don't see him. There you go, Rach. Put, put that DNA code. Skip past the circles. I'll, I'll, I'll end up with that. This is from Dr. Gary Smalley. He says this, the, the code for relationships is, number one, you were made for relationships. Are, were you? Are we? For this reason shall a man leave his father, mother, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, somebody, love your neighbor. As your, I mean, we were cre- it's inside. You can't help it. You were created to be in relationship. If not, there's something broken because you were created for relationship. Number two, you were created with the capacity to choose. <laughs> In a marriage, oh, here's, here's a side note. This will be for free. This won't cost you extra. Which one between the man and the woman has more power in the relationship? Thank you, Cash. Which one has more power in the relationship? This may shock you. It is not the man. Oh, but the man's the head of the house. That's right. He's been given the role to be the leader and the governor and the head of the house. But how many of you know the person who holds the influence holds the power? That's why you've got to be careful, ladies, how you're influencing it. It needs to be from the Holy Spirit, based on the Word of God, not anything, not based on your needs, not based on something the world has told you, 50 shades. I mean, right down the line. You see what I mean? It needs to, your influence needs to be a godly influence on him. So that's, that's really, really important that we get that. But listen, it's, we've all been given the power, the capacity to choose, which means, now watch, because you said something earlier, honey. Uh, I, how many times, well, if, if this woman would just start acting right, we could get along. Or that man, men, you can't live with them, you can't live without them. I mean, just, and, and the, the, here's the first problem in most marital conflicts is that the per, one person's always pointing to the other and saying, and it's you that's the problem. You have the capacity to choose. Can I give you a little friendly, can, can y'all see the gray hair from back there? Can y'all see in this? I'm seeing it a lot more lately. You know, preachers age in dog years, I've, I've learned. You know, um, can I give you some friendly advice? that'll save you a lot of misery. Stop trying to change the other person. Yeah, but you don't understand. They get on my last nerves. He leaves his underwear right in the middle of the floor. I mean, yeah, okay. Step over it. (laughs) Part of the misery is that you're trying to change them and not let God do it. So you have the capacity to choose, the capacity to choose what? Choose who you ought to be. If I will focus on becoming more like Jesus, then it's more likely my marriage is going to become more one because we're both trying to become like him, all right? And then thirdly there, uh, you were created, you were made with the the capacity or the, uh, you were made to take responsibility, all right? Okay, y'all get something out of this? Yeah. All right, let, let's bring it, bring it back around. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Paul talks to the church at Corinth, oh man, there's so many things. I mean, I've got notes. We could go on, but I'm wanting you to walk away with one thing mm-hmm. and I'm wanting you to develop that uh, to, of how to either give the counsel to somebody on young people on, okay, I'm not going to make the mistake of I've seen of others make. I'm going to make sure my garden is a beautiful garden. I'm going to make sure my marriage reflects heaven. Or those of who's, who who are in this room and say, well, when you said rate it from one to ten, I you know I said a five or an eight or something like that. So okay, so wherever you are, what the little pastor is trying to say to you this morning is, what well, do you want it to get better? Right. Right. Do you want it to improve? If so. Through the force of your will, through the power of your choosing, you say, it will happen because I want it to, and I'm going to start working toward that end. 
Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, do not be, watch now, unequally yoked. You know, I have to spend a lot of time in marriage about that. What does that mean? Well, the context of that passage is he says, don't go out and marry unbelievers. It's because your spirits aren't yoked. Your spirits aren't in alignment. Don't go and marry a Buddhist. Yeah, but he's got, uh, you know, rock hard abs. Yeah, but his spirit... Oh, I just tell you, you kidding me? I'm telling you the truth. A lot of people get married because of looks mm-hmm. or because she kisses really well. Well, that's only going to last so long. You better have more of a foundation than just a good kisser. That's right. All right? So, by being unequal, look, you want me to where, where oneness comes together. Uh, if you're if t- taking notes, hit me with it. If not, go back and listen to it. It's one, oneness or become equally yoked is that we first find spiritual intimacy. You were meant to be in the presence of God. You, sir, were meant to be a man of God. Lady, you were meant to be a woman of God. And if you will be the man that God's called you to be, if you will be the woman that God called you to be, then you start walking together spiritually. What I've learned where a lot of people in marriage get in trouble is because their spirits are not equally yoked. One person is growing in the Lord. They're reading the Bible. They're praying. They're, they're going after God. And the other's just sitting back and just not doing it. And before long, they are light years apart because they've allowed themselves to become unequally yoked because they're not in the same spiritual devotion. It's really important. Secondly, psychological and emotional devotion. You want to know what that is? That's spending time. That's getting to know one another. Watch this now. I believe that in marriage, and this is what I try to do and is, 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 with God helping me, I believe that our job, husbands and wives, is to look at that person that we said vow with, vows with, that we made covenant with, and we're to look at them and say, I see something in you that apparently you don't even see in yourself. I see a beauty and an attractiveness. Yeah, you know, you are a brick house, all right? I like what I see. Okay, come on, we got to be physically attracted. All right, that, that's it. That's a part of it. All right, it's a part of it. But that's not all of it. But there's something in that person that you look and say, you know, you are beautiful to me. But I want you to know there's something inside of you that's stunning, that's gorgeous, and, and apparently I'm not even sure sometimes you see it. Let me pull that person I see inside of you and show you who you are through my eyes. Okay, that's becoming one psychologically and emotionally. I mean, you know, that's hard work. The other thing is physically, okay, and I won't spend a lot of time on that, but you know, yes, sex is involved in that, and a lot of people have trouble in that area, but because the others are out of uh, course, but it not only involves just the sexual part, it involves the touching, okay? Husband and wives need to be constantly touching. You know that they did with orphans over in Romania years ago, found that if a little baby at the, its early stage is not touched, it would literally die. You are created with a hunger to be touched. That's why with little babies, look at grandma over here rocking and isn't it innocent to hug that baby, kiss it? Why? Because that's an expression of love. Now understand, that baby needs that. So do you. So listen, I'm going to go ahead and say it right here in church, in front of church and God and everybody. You, you, need to, you need to show her. You need to flirt with her. You need to say things to him. That's all a part of it. Make it fun. Keep it. Keep it real. You know, it's okay. It's okay. You can walk by in the kitchen and give her a little pat on the rear end and say, just letting you know I'm here. All right? That's what you're talking about. Because that's God put that in us. You know, I can't believe he said that in church. Well, God's the one that came up with it, not me. It's time to wrap it up and it's go to the to kitchen. All, let's go all to the bow kitchen. our heads and close our eyes. Go to the kitchen, everybody. <laughs> and go to the kitchen. Okay. But it's all, it also has to do with this. You know, Remember what we said in sickness and in health? Right, right. That when that person gets hurt, mm-hmm. the, it, you know, one of the ways that we show them love is we take care of them. Um, minister to their needs, yeah. Real quickly, because we just saw this story on Friday, um, but it was this young couple. They were from the South. Actually, both of them went to Sanford, fell madly in love, and they got married. And at the age of 26, she ended up with a brain stem uh, 
aneurysm rupture. rupture. Yeah. And, you know, just to watch this, I mean, this beautiful blonde girl who became a model out in L.A., but this tragedy happened, and now she, in the world's, in the world's eye view, she is deformed, you know, because she's got the paralyzation and stuff like that. She's paralyzed. Um, and, but to watch the husband stand next to her side by side and, and just love on her, and one thing she kept saying when she couldn't talk, they gave her a writing board, she kept saying, I'm the same inside. I'm the same inside. So I just wanted to put that on the physical, because know when you're standing at the at an altar what could happen so those vows i mean god takes them seriously and we do need to too all right everybody stand together let's get ready to come on on up here with me honey you know having said that you know this couple right down here Mm -hmm. he rolls her in here every sunday and make sure she gets in her place. And then he takes her out and makes sure she, she gets in the car. Mm-hmm. And I'm believing, Miss Mary, either, I know for sure, either one day God's going to heal and you're going to stand up and walk mm-hmm. out of that chair because mm-hmm. we know he can. Mm-hmm. Or when we get to the other side, I won't see you sitting in that wheelchair anymore. 